clubhouse. Welcome back to another supersized episode of Pod Clubhouse's continuing coverage of NBC's This Is Us. This is for episodes 11 and 12, Saturday in the Park and Katobi. These are the two episodes that demonstrate the wreckage of Kate and Toby's relationship as it comes to a close as a married couple. We're going to be telling our opinions and um, not exactly recaps, but we're going to be going through both of these episodes instead of one and then the other. We're going to follow characters as they progress through both episodes since these two are so strongly centered on just Kate and Toby. We want to get the others just out of the way, regardless of how they finish up in the flash forwards in Katobi. So this is Paul. This is Caroline. Thank you guys so much for being patient on these episodes. We're trying to group them together in some sort of, you know, sensible way, I guess, because for us, they are kind of chunking them out in these uh, like we're really just focused on one character. And so I, we we felt like we could have sat down and just talked about Jack and what happened in the Saturday in the Park episode, but it would have been kind of short. And we really wanted to put it in context in the larger scheme of what happens with Kate and Toby. So thank you guys for your patience. I know it's hard to wait week to week. But this week, we're going to start off actually with some of the, just the supporting characters and kind of scoop them up out of the way. First of all, let's start off with that flashback, Paul, where we have Jack and Rebecca celebrating their 10th anniversary. Freaking loved the entire Rebecca being drunk. A whole shtick. It was so funny when she's like, what does mean mean? What does mean mean? <laughs> she was like <laughs> laughing at herself. All of it was super funny. I wish we had more versions of that of Rebecca. It was really fun to kind of like see that side of her. I don't think we've ever seen that side of her. I don't think so either. I mean, very little back when she was at Froggy's with young Jack and Miguel and joking around and stuff. But I mean, very little, very, very little. Totally fun version of her. She did get pregnant in Froggy's bathroom. Well... <laughs> That's what I mean. Much more fun. <laughs> she was much more fun. But so we set up this pattern, right, of the big three protecting each other, most specifically Kevin coming to the rescue of Kate with Randall backup. This seems to be the theme. We've seen this going on here throughout really the entire series, but they pounded this home between this flashback and then what's going on at the 10th anniversary party of Miguel and Rebecca. This might be the first time since the end of the season four, like big three fracture where they've come together like this that yeah. I can recall. Does it have like a time and place when you're small and, you know, it was cute and Rebecca was totally in love with it. And, she, and like you could see there was some like mom pride, like I made this little gaggle of kids who completely protect each other versus what is it like when Kate's, you know, having an argument with her spouse during this extreme situation well, and her brothers pull up on it? Yeah, of course it does have time and place, but it also has so many other things. It has, is my sibling, you know, putting myself in their shoes, is the person that I know capable of, of getting out of this, this whatever it is without my help? Or another consideration might be, does it seem like the person arguing with her has forgotten the time and place and is towering over her in their front yard in this very menacing way where I'm not sure how it's going to go. 
if I'm Kevin and, and Randall, I, I I know that I like Toby, but I'm as Toby once said, he's I'm, I'm Team Kate all the way. If I'm her sibling, mm-hmm. so I think all that factors into yeah, she could probably handle the argument itself word for word by herself, mm-hmm. but all these other things, you know, you might get the cops called on you when you have arguing out in in the in the yard on a public road with a on a public know, road as we've known with, to- <laughs> a, with a big man who looks angry. Take yourself out of the brother role and put yourself in a parent role. If you're standing there watching this, either back in the Jack and Rebecca days or in the Miguel Rebecca party, are you proud to see your other kids step up and holler or are you like not cool with what's happening? I disagree with Jack on this one because the more that they get into the groove of being there for each other, I mean, you may have some bumps along the way as, you know, various boners are pulled here and there what? <laughs> but uh <laughs> but they are going to be around especially in jack's case together a lot longer than you are so them relying on each other depending on each other like this is only going to serve them well later and we definitely have this in our household i mean we have twins and then our singleton just 10 and a half months later and He is definitely the protector, I would say. I mean, he is the one who steps in the way and says, like, you know, here's the funny thing. He mostly chastises his sister, though, and is like, more like, quit acting like that bird, right? Like, tries to tries to simmer the situation by kind of talking them down, I would say, more than getting involved. But this is so tricky when, you know, in this case, when they're up against the babysitter, I thought it was cute and funny. I mean, I don't know how really the babysitter got locked in the bathroom, to be honest with you. I mean, she didn't seem like she was small enough for these little guys to like pull her into the bathroom. <laughs> so it's a little unsure exactly how that happened. But, you know, I thought it was it was cute. And again, like they needed to have that kind of bonding. Mm-hmm. That, that was like, that was cute and fun. Now things get dicier when it's not versus a babysitter, but it's versus a spouse. Because you and I have three siblings between us and we have three divorces in those siblings between us. Swarming. And remarriages as well. And given that, Stepping into a spouse fight, we had plenty of opportunity really to do that. And interestingly enough, like I really thought this through, I don't think we ever got in the middle of it. We came in after and were there to like help pick up pieces and we were there to help like figure out what to do next. But whether by design or just lucky circumstance or maybe we excused ourselves when things got heated, I'm not sure. But I don't ever remember any type of opportunity where there was actually like fighting amongst sibling and spouse right in front of us where we had to make the choice to step in or, or try to back out. No, I don't think so either. It was always still at that level where the person makes a pointed comment yeah. that everyone is like, well, that feels awkward, but I'm not <laughs> sure the full meaning of that. And to be fair, think about how many times really between these two episodes that there were like those types of remarks and including the previous episode with Thanksgiving where, where Kevin said, take the hat off, Toby. Yeah. Like, you know, like this type of thing has been building up for forever. So like you were saying, this big tall man looming in the front yard with a lot of these kind of nasty little digs, you know, having come throughout. Even if, you know, let's even say, okay, so Kate shares part of the blame here. So let's say she instigates some of that or she pecks back or whatever she does. Kate is not blameless. She's certainly not blameless. But even still, that doesn't mean you wouldn't want to simmer the situation, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's still like a powder keg. So I get them wanting to jump in on the situation. Now, having said all of that, 
you and I have argued in front of our siblings before. And one has stepped in and I was quick to say, get out of here. (laughs) You have nothing to do with this. Like you have no place here. So back off. I was real fast to, to stop that. So I certainly don't like it on the receiving end. If I'm Toby, I'm like, get out. (laughs) Not having this at all. Well, sometimes in the middle of an argument that has all of a sudden escalated, having something break it, you know, where it's just like you are all of a sudden focused on a person who is not involved in the argument, the tension, the pot stops boiling over. And that can be a second where you can save your life. <laughs> save your life? Oh, my God. Paul. It's a little extreme. But okay. Is it, Caroline? Yes, it is. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to back off this a little bit because everybody's going to have their opinions, you know, and everyone has a different dynamic with their siblings. They obviously grew up very close and, you know, have had their times when they push and pull each other away. But I guess at the end of the day, the point is they show up. And they do stick up for each other, whether you think that's adorable, whether you think that's admirable, or whether you think there's a time and a place when, as an adult, you need to say, I got to have this out with my spouse. Y'all need to back off. One thing I do want to note, Kate didn't turn around and say, thank you guys so much and give them like a big hug when Toby walked off. She made like a and walked off as well. She did not turn back to her brothers and say, that was amazing. Thank you so much. There's something to be said about that, I guess, if you're really trying to figure out whether this was good or not. Okay, let's talk about Randall and Beth because they were super supporting characters throughout this episode and Katobi. So let's talk a little bit about how Randall, he has this senator race that we can see is coming along in the background. There's phone calls. We're not getting much more information than that except for he's fundraising. He is doing well. He seems happy. He doesn't seem overly stressed about it. He seems happy, but it's busy. And Beth has provided an amazing amount of comic relief And just being like, when her and Toby were sitting outside in the backyard and being like, come on, we all blame Kevin on this. Like, he's so freaking annoying and all that. Like, it was nice to have that breath of fresh air, that non-Pearson blood saying something. They don't have much to do in these episodes. I'd like to pat myself on the back. Oh, you do? Uh, This is as our partner, Mike, would say, the toot your own fucking horn portion of the show. (laughs) Uh, Where I predicted that we would start to skip through time a little bit in order to catch up to where we need to be by the end of the show. And in Katobi, we definitely did do that. With regard to Randall, I think they're giving us some dangling threads that will be picked up in some way moving forward. Now, Caroline and I have not watched ahead, and there's only six more. Right. And I'm looking at the titles of the next three. Okay, hit us. And none of them say... Randall. Senator Randall. (laughs) Hit me with those titles. It's day of the wedding, the night before the wedding. So it's like they're going to do a little reverse on us and then Miguel. And then they don't have titles for the next three. Mm. Uh, So that sounds like we'll get a little trace of Randall's story here and there. Um, Maybe we'll get a lot in the night before the wedding. Night before the wedding, I got to think it's going to be Kevin. Because isn't it all about who he slept with? (sighs) Of course. We're going to get into that in just a second. Is it only one? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that, but I suppose so. I suppose, I mean, goodness. Do we feel done? Okay, so Randall, Senator, this is the track. We've got to get more information. But even within the flash forwards and everything we had, it's on track. That's what we're doing right now. And Beth seems like her story is really closed out. They did a great job with her in the dance studio and stuff. I'm not sad. 
The flash forward that I thought was a little weird timing wise was the engagement party. Okay. Where he says something along the lines of that he is getting more donations for his campaign. You know, when you're thinking of replacing a senator, if that's what's happening, since those are six year terms, that's not just like a we're going to tell you about it this year. We're going to tell you right. about it well in advance. Probably as soon as you secure that seat. Maybe. And you know it's going to be your yeah. last go, right? So that would explain why what could be two years hence. Oh, we think it's, I think it's a little bit more than that, but yeah. yeah, you're right. They spent about two years dicking around with Diane before they called it quits. And then so the engagement party would be sometime after that. Man, I don't even want to get into that because I'm not ready to talk about exactly when things happen. Like, dicking I'm not, around with Diane? No, I'm, we're not ready. I don't want to talk about dicking around with Diane quite yet. Okay. However, I agree with you. Randall's story seems to be right on track with the senator race. And that's exciting. I think that we all could see that from for Randall quite a bit ago. I mean, starting back with Councilman and everything, this seemed like a very logical route to go with him and Beth as the comic relief and someone who to, to talk to the Pearson drama and stuff like that, being this sort of outsider, this extra voice, I think is super fun and a great use of her character. So wonderful. And I was glad actually not to have the Teenage Girls drama of the week happening. If that never happens again for the rest of the show, I'd be fine with I that. I know you would. <laughs> Let's move over to Kevin because he's bringing his own ladies and drama to the situation. They're not teenage ladies, thankfully, thankfully, but they are a wide array of varying, uh, what, what do we want to say, Paul? If he's moved himself into being sort of like a B or C list guy, they're somewhere on another list below that. <laughs> well, they're like, they're like ladies who do advertisements. So, I mean, I'm not making fun of all that. I mean, that's all very totally Gotta work. respectable work. But these particular women, you know, they kind of made them seem pretty goofy and, you know, not very intelligent and, you know, just kind of like they were just placeholders, you know, the whole time we feel like, all right, when is the real person coming along? Again, I feel a little weird that the show has created this situation where this is all we talk about with Kevin is who is on his arm. And that is it. Like, Kevin doesn't pass the Bechdel test anymore. He only exists in comparison to having a woman with him. You know, he's the reverse Bechdel test. Yeah, the lead kid. He doesn't even exist. Nice. Without saying, who is he dating? You know, like, there isn't really that much else going on with him. So there's a lot going on between these two episodes in terms of Madison and Elijah. And that whole closing the door on Madison in a pretty big way. Were you surprised at the Elijah proposal, and then they bring us all the way through Katobi with obviously they did get married and Madison has a baby. I'll say I was surprised given that if you rewind through some, some of our earlier podcasts, I clearly believed that Madison and Kevin could make it work. And you really had hoped for it too, actually. Uh, yes, that's an accurate <laughs> remembrance. Elijah is the low stakes guy that she needed, right? Mm -hmm. the go-along-to-get-along guy that's just happy to be invited. So the fact that he's still there in those flash-forwards, unsurprising. But, you know, they're totally happy-seeming, so that's all well and good. Uh, we happy to be invited is a very good way to describe him, and also kind of unproblematic. You know, like, he just he seems like he's just kind of, like, happy to watch what she wants to watch on TV, joining book club, doing stuff. Like, he seems pretty chill. Yeah. No big deal with, with those two. Kevin, though, is left twisting in the wind because there's obviously no Cassidy involved. I don't um, know what's obvious, Paul. You could say things like, obviously, there's no Cassidy involved. 
I'm telling you, previews for next week, people are saying the blue dress girl sitting next to him at the wedding is Cassidy. But he's peeping behind to a green dress Sophie. So, what? Yeah, but I, I mean. No, I want to care about who Kevin ends up with. I really, honestly, I do want to care. But also at this point, I'm kind of just like, okay, we see him with a wedding ring at, at Rebecca's deathbed. We know he looks over with some sort of smile on his face at the cabin, right? The old cabin, mm-hmm. as if someone's in there. And I just want him to be happy. And this feels like filler for him. Like we're just watching oh, for him sure. yeah. bounce around between people. And so the I'm condom not, girl. The condom girl, but even I'm gonna go talk to Sophie and her husband. Oh, I have ice cream with Cassidy a couple of weeks ago. Like I just I'm not super invested in who he ends up with. I want him to be happy, but they're kind of dragging it out and fooling around with it in a way that it's taking over a lot of conversation of the show in a way that's like just let time pass. If I keep making that sound, which I apologize for. <laughs> <laughs> so that dangling thread of I'll go, I'm going to go talk to Sophie at mm. the engagement party, which I'm positive we will revisit in some other episode that plays with time later. Do they run the risk of having a How I Met Your Mother situation if he ends up back with Sophie through some twist of fate? I think a lot of people watching would say if he's going to end up with Sophie after dragging us through an awful lot of other people and frankly dragging Sophie through an awful lot of terrible her, her own husband mess, too. Yes. Yeah. I would say that there better be some really massive reconciliation that makes sense. They cannot montage us through Getting back with Sophie. Mm, I mean, it cannot just be like, watch this slideshow of how they got back together. Buckle up for disappointment, (laughs) then, because you might not. (laughs) I know, because we don't have that much time left, and they're montaging a lot of important things. And they're spending two things on the wedding. Well, the wedding is going to be a milestone moment in the in the world, right? It, like, think of your life as like little tiny marks and then kind of big marks. This, I think that it marks a big moment in time for them all. And we're going to find out why. I mean, certainly in the previews we see for Rebecca, it's going to mark a really big moment in time in terms of like revealing her progression and her disease. Yeah. And I think we're going to see that for each of them for whatever reason, this particular weekend, this particular moment of time. So it's not the wedding. It's this is kind of when we all got together and shit really like got real. Their shit is always so real. (laughs) Like the last wedding. Your face. Right? In the cabin. Yeah. Right? With with Deja breaking the window and all that. Oh my God, do you remember that? Think of that with Toby and Kate and the... And the Deja freaking out and breaking the glass. Oof. Don't even bring the kids to this other wedding. <laughs> you might not want to. I don't know how it's going to go. Although they should be much No, they're around. We already know they're around because remember. She should be like a high school it. senior by then, right? At least. That. Probably something like that. But okay. So basically, Kevin, I know a lot happened with Madison. And I do respect the fact that they gave the, they did the whole, I can be your emergency contact forever kind of conversation. Because I think that that's something that is very real in the world. I know we just talked real, but I think that well, it foreshadows the kind of relationship that Toby and Kate can eventually get to. Right, which even Kevin brings up, you know, in Katobi, there's, there's a whole conversation about that. You know, maybe they can maybe they can strive for being, you know, co-parenting and and all that stuff. And, and you know, hey, it's all good so long as it works for everybody. I, I thought it was a good pattern with the whole like our story doesn't end here. 
you know, our story continues kind of thing. I appreciate all of that stuff. And it's true. I mean, you had a life together. Both of these couples have kids. So your your relationship with them shouldn't end. And so it doesn't end with the co-parent at all. So there's lots going on there. I felt like Madison's true happiness and excitement about Elijah's proposal kind of surprised me. I even looked at you when he said something like, how do you feel about that? And I looked at you and I said, oh, she's going to say some shit like I wish it was you. And then when she was like, I'm really happy, I'm really excited. I was like, oh, damn, she actually loves him. Hmm. <laughs> How terrible is that? But I was, I was like kind of pleasantly surprised that she was genuinely happy and excited about this proposal. So, okay, girl, you enjoy your happy to be invited guy. He seems really easygoing and Kevin is the opposite of all of that. <laughs> He's the uh, hippopotamus of problems. <laughs> He's a big problem. Hippopotamus. Hippopotamus. Exactly. Yes. All right. Are you ready to jump into Katobi land? Because we've got a lot going on over there and it's rough. Well, part of my own deal with these two episodes and possibly why I wasn't racing into the podcasting chamber was that there was so much familiar territory here that... We're going to be real with y'all. I didn't necessarily feel like I needed to race in and, <laughs> and talk about it. Yeah, I mean, so much so that we have we put out, you know, a, a little disclaimer out on, on all of our social media for Pod Clubhouse saying, like, we're sorry we're taking a little bit longer with this, but this is actually really personal and feels like we actually have to process what we saw and what we heard because this is all just too realistic in our own house. So let's start off with Saturday in the park and talk about what went on with Jack and basically the layering of things like the leak that was like so long ago. And they covered so nicely by looking like, hey, remember when Toby invited his dad over mm -hmm. and together they were going to fix the leak? And then turned out they did like a crappy job. Well, they did a job that lasted a while. But also, I would like to point out, if you want to like play like big game, big like English, like make some symbolism. Toby went for help to a dad that he never wanted to emulate. To a dad who didn't manage to stay together and didn't manage to have that family work out and was a yeller and bad shit happened. And that's who Toby went to in that crisis. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, it wasn't good it didn't hold that's pretty deep shit but applicable i hadn't thought about it that way i only, only remember that that they had laid the trap of mm -hmm. the leaky pipe in the roof or ceiling um god and it went through the quite whole a while ago freaking house when it actually busted on top of their master bedroom bed their wedding bed if you will paul and it got ruined <gasps> talk about symbolism good god my 70-year-old mother is trying to lift this mattress. Oh, well, I mean... <laughs> uh, there was also other people in the room. That's the shit married people say to each other, though. <laughs> I mean... It is. It's bad stuff. Do you feel like they did a good job creating enough chaos in that house to leave it vague in who's to blame, what was actually happening, and that Jack was able to slip out? I did. I mean, locked gate, locked door of the two sins. The door, obviously, is the one that gets you outside. The gate just gets you lost in the house. You just said obviously, because I think like a lot of people are saying if the gate's locked, it doesn't matter what's going on in the rest of the house. So really fascinating that you like went right to had that door not been left open. 
Well, I'm thinking of like the level of trouble, right? There's that's how he got hurt was outside, right? He would just mm. sort of been underfoot if he'd been loose in the house. Loose in the house. Here's the thing that a lot of people have pointed out. When a lot you, of people can suck it. When you have something like a you know a plumbing leak where the person is having to come in and out of the house, like go out to their truck and get some different tools or maybe get some different materials or something like that, that it would actually be reasonable, even if Kate had locked the door in that first time, the idea that the door would have probably been opening and closing. Even Toby was going in and out of the back door to go do, you know, check on the, the green egg and the meat and stuff, which I have to point out, everyone who's getting super pissed about the fact that they feel like they were being tricked by the green egg thing, the green egg was important because the smell is what triggered the memory of the day. Everyone was assuming that it was that the actual green egg was going to smash into his head. No one was going to sign on to have their product hurt the baby, the, the, blind, the baby blind baby on This Is Us. No one. Anyone who believed that, I want to say, like, step back just a second. I mean, Peloton has stopped production after Big had his freaking <laughs> heart attack in Sex in the City. Like, it's serious what, you know, fans see on these shows. They are not going to back products after that. So if you were duped by that, I'm sorry, definitely back up and say, like, bigger picture, real life. They were never going to make it be a product. But I appreciated how they built that in, that, you know, a smell, a sound, or whatever can, can bring back those memories, a song, right? Right. So let's get, just get that out of the way. Get right, it out of the right way. Right away. The green it's, egg. It's gotten. Wasn't a freaking thing. <laughs> but okay, so getting back to it, the chaos of checking on the meat, Haley trying to take a nap and having Beth being like kind of pulled out of the situation having the mattress getting ruined which that's a that's a several thousand dollar situation that you that is like extra hands on deck over there i felt that needing to have childlike man baby kevin busy and with another capable adult babysitter i thought that that was a little too contrived so like the chaos felt a little forced to me okay in that they didn't need to be doing what they were doing how they were doing it no one, in fact, did. Right. Like, Haley didn't have to take a nap just then. Like, Beth could have put the baby down in the pack and play and been an adult in the room. All of it. They needed it to make the story work. But in real life, a lot of adults would have been like, no, this is dumb. We're doing this the dumb way. <laughs> I think the property damage, the actual water damage, I think is what gave it some urgency. I think they could have made it an, a different type of house um, issue, you know, the 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 water going out or something, just going out, you know, where the toilets didn't flush or something, but nothing was getting actually actively damaged, then I think that it would have lowered the stakes. But there would have been actual panic if our bed was getting smashed in on and in the middle of the kitchen where we we're cooking, the whole ceiling smashed down. I did feel like they made it frantic. Like it was it was urgent that we deal with this and it was ruining things. Does that make sense? Like why I oh, agree yeah. with you that the Kevin Randall thing they just said, go pick up the kids early. So I guess they were going to leave. Yeah, but not both of them. I mean. Right, right. No. I understand. <laughs> well, but we had to get to the point where there was enough weakness in the group that guards were let down. How did you feel when you actually saw Jack out on the sidewalk? I had to tell myself that off camera, just off camera, there were people there making sure everything was okay because yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah sort of like when you watch a horror movie right you have to be like you know that's a prop 
that's fake blood, that's, you know, whatever. Right. And then that helps you not feel as scared as they want you to feel because you might barf your guts out if you do. Um, so in this case, though, uh, seeing that little guy with his cane, which uh, let's just take a second and bring some attention to the, the little actor who is as capable an actor as I've seen in that age group, like, ever. I would say even, like, above that age group. I, I feel like we've seen teenagers who are worse actors. I'm picturing several now that couldn't stand up to his performance. Anyway, I was impressed by him. He actually has his own visual impairment, and I think it's great that they went through the extra steps that it would take for casting to make sure to get a little guy. Massive amount of credit to the casting department of This Is Us. I don't think there has been a child actor that we thought was crappy or did a did a bad job in terms of like how they looked as a kid versus how the adult person looks over time, like that they did such a great job matching up how people looked. And then just the quality of actors that they get. I don't know what they do. I don't know if they get them this way or if they just have really great like directors and coaches on on staff there that really mold these kids because I, I think he was fantastic. He sold it and his little voice. Oh my God, our middle kiddo, she would grin ear to ear every single time he would say something. I know it was just like the pitch of his voice being so, so sweet. She just lit up every time he talked. And I, it was such a, just like a visceral, like that's a pure little heart kind of feeling back and forth between the two of them. It was really cute. And I can say the entire scene of having baby Jack get out, our son Jack is like we were talking about before, is very protective of his sisters. And we have the same type of gates in our house that they use on This Is Us. And we, um, we have one particularly on our stairs, which is an area that is always a safety issue for us when you have a deafblind child. That's something that's always nerve wracking. And he hand wrote like this note that said, close the gate and taped it up on the wall that night. And I didn't see it for like days. And then I was like, what is taped up on the wall? And I looked and I was like, oh my God. And I recognized his handwriting. And I said, Chuck, did you write that up on the wall? And he's like, I just don't want the gate to be left open and, and, and have anything happen. And I was like, oh, Bubba. So kudos to the show because they got through to both of those kids. I just mentioned our middle kid, oh, Elizabeth, and our youngest, Jack. They are both have autism. They don't necessarily pick up on a lot of cues. And that little baby got to Elizabeth and the whole scene got to Jack in a way that they acted. You know, they responded to the whole thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's a feat. I can't say that every show does that at all. No, they're... Unless it's got a, a Muppet or a, a singing animal. Um, it's hard they, to keep their attention. Yeah, it doesn't usually work out. Exactly. So, man, Paul, I've got to tell you, the pinnacle of Jack actually, you know, of course, there's like the moment of the street scared the mother freaking hell out of me. And then him actually getting to those stairs, though, like when they focus the camera and I give the camera work a ton of credit as well. They focus the camera on the far side of the stairs, beneath the stairs, and you see him running yeah. towards those stairs. Again, our Jack was like, no, baby. <laughs> like, oh, no. Like, so scared. So scared. And to see him laid out on the sidewalk and everything, holy crap. Oh, my God. Now, what do you think about the blame that was put on Kate by Toby about the fact that she ever taught Jack how to get to the park and sang this little song with him and tried to make him feel confident and happy? If you're outside of a family with um, a member with special needs, then his logic probably sounds great. 
like perfect sense. Why would you teach a blind kid to get out of the house, et cetera, et cetera. However, if you're in a family with a blind kid, like he's supposed to be, then you would have learned thanks to you know, whether it's your own study or parent training or seminars or things that you become aware of when you are in those social circles, that Kate is totally right that building up their confidence and their self-esteem and their um, self-reliance from the get-go is going to take a lot longer than a sighted or typically developing child. So she's right. The fact that he got this part of it a little younger is maybe TV magic, but she's right. Well, and one of the things that I want to say in our own life experiences is that we have met kids who have been uh, really have have had adults in their life who are very overprotective with them. And rightfully so. I mean, they, they have, you know, their own impairments and whatnot, but it has resulted in very timid children. Kids who are scared to walk on stairs because their parents have made them so nervous about being around stairs because for safety reasons, but they have been scared into not being able to do it. And, and you know, when we're in group settings, there are certain kids who take so much longer to walk across a sidewalk or whatever, a safe sidewalk with other people just because they have this built in fear that's been put into them by their parents. We've been incredibly lucky that we have had people who work with our daughter, Lauren, for those of you guys who don't remember, she is deaf and blind, who have always been very supportive of her. We've had only a couple of people that have ever worked with Lauren, and we were quick to squelch it, who had sort of like that pity, I'll do it for her, poor baby kind of attitude, right, that we've, mm-hmm. we've had to deal with, which we had, which would have been about right baby Jack's age. Where we had to be like, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. That's not our family way. Like Lauren is a part of the group and we're not poor babying. Like, no, 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 no. Here's the other thing. For as much people as like who are making fun of things like learning locks and doorknobs, Paul, there are so many Montessori toys that we have dealt with. Remember the wooden toy that had all the latches on or, it? I can recall going to... I don't remember if it was a blind or a deafblind seminar, but there was a section on learning how to make your own toys for your kids because you're not going to easily find things off the shelf that your kid will engage with. And when you do, it might be expensive. And if you pay for it, they might hate it. (laughs) So you need to get used to this idea of crafting your own stuff. And I seem to recall whether it was us or somebody brought the equivalent of like a homemade busy board, but was all it's all locks, zippers and latches and specifically clasps locks and locks. That yes. was the thing that that made a lot of people raise their eyebrow. Like, wait a minute, there's actually like one of those like chain latches with the little chain and the little slide, and all these things were on here. And you, you take know, for granted that your body knows how to do these things, but there's a certain amount of muscle memory that you just forgot that you developed so long ago. And a lot of that is dependent on the fact that you can freaking see it. Right. It was all visually learned. And so, yes, you do start a lot earlier. And it does seem odd to do things like doorknobs and stuff like that. But, you know, when she's talking about independence and she's talking about a sense of not being scared, I mean, if a door is closed in your house and you don't know how to work a doorknob, think of how scary that would be to feel like you were constantly being like locked into rooms, you know, if you didn't know how to work a simple doorknob. So while she did not teach him how to do the lock on the door, and that's important to note, 
He didn't unlock that door. He just knew how to do the doorknob. And we can say, you know, in our own home, we always had the hotel latch thing way high up that would take a kid on a bar stool to stand on to possibly get up there. So ours was very high. But again, even in that situation, it would have been open because the worker would have been going in and out of the house trying to get repair stuff. Right. Yeah. So no matter how many things you put into place, it could have been messed up. Now, I'll tell you other things that a lot of people use, which is and we looked at, you know, having the door buzz or beep anytime it opens a chime or something on that, whether it's with your security system or whatever, so that there's an extra alert to the whole household. But I think even in that situation, Knowing that the repair worker was going in and out of the house, you probably would have zoned out to the chime opening and closing. Yep. You know, I think there had been very few things that could have stopped the situation short of someone physically holding him the whole time. I mean, of course, I would say the latch on in the bedroom. And of course, we're all going to go back to the source of this was really that Toby didn't fix the leak in the first place, which the source of that was that we didn't have any money because nobody was really making any any headway with jobs, right? We were taking jobs at a pair of professional, at a blind school, making no money. Uh, <laughs> All that. Round and round we go on the blame. But I think at the end of the day, everybody shared some of the blame. And really what it proved was that they didn't have the coping mechanisms anymore or whatever motivation inside of them anymore to work it out. As we transition to the Katobi episode, an idea has bopped around in my my brain concerning these two episodes that I'm sure you've heard. It's when someone talks about their spouse and they say something along the lines of, he was a great husband, but a lousy dad, or he's a great dad, but a lousy husband, or he was a great boyfriend, but a lousy husband, or, you know, something along those lines. And yeah. it seems like Toby fits right in there somewhere. I mean, he seemed like, Probably a pretty bang up husband. Before kids. Before kids. Yeah, I agree with you. I always had a huge, huge issue with the lack of bonding with Jack. And it happens and I understand and it's no one's fault, but it really changed my viewpoint on Toby and any amount of giving him leeway for questioning Kate or questioning how we're raising him or any of those things. Because if you don't bond with your blind kiddo right away, okay, no judgment. But then don't try to second guess the parent who is all in, who has been, you know, spending all their time researching, going to the workshop we saw them go to with Rebecca, you know, doing those things. At least like lay low, you know, if, if you're not bonding, if you don't really understand, if you can't find your way, don't make it harder on the other parent who is trying to do it. You know, mm -hmm. when that got brought up and it did get bring, brought up in the Katobi episode, where Toby says, okay, I didn't bond with Jack. You know, I didn't find my way with the kids, like that kind of stuff. Like he admitted it. It wasn't just like a, an assertion on our part that like, geez, he didn't actually accept Jack until he saw the little bit of the Christmas lights. And then suddenly he was willing to accept him as a son. He addresses it. He did, which I give him a lot of credit for. I've, I've, mo I've mostly heard it from moms because it uh, it gets usually hand in hand with postpartum concerns and that they don't bond well with their baby that they ha they're having their own obstacles and they're trying to deal with those things and they really just can't bond with the baby. I have read things about dads being like, I want to provide for this baby, but I don't love it. Like, I don't have that same bond with the baby that my wife does. I think the trick is, though, is that other part that I'm talking about. It's like, okay, well then just do what you're asked to do and don't question it. No, it's uh, 
you know, uh, lead follower, get out of the way, right? Basically. At least don't stand there questioning while you're not doing anything, right? That's pretty ugly stuff. Okay, Paul, I don't even really know where to jump in with this, which kind of is a testament to how well they did explain this relationship and how it devolved. Because while, yes, the Jack incident was certainly a turning point, and it was in terms of Toby deciding to drop the entire San Francisco situation and take the job in L.A. and throw all of his chips in with, we're going to make this family work here. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> making, I'm making a face at, at Caroline. Like, he resented yeah. every second of it, and he made her feel that way. So then does he actually get credit for doing it at all? Or is it just like, it was so hollow? It's a, there's a running joke on the Simpsons and and in real life where someone does something and then Homer says, without the attitude, because (laughs) everything that he did was with the attitude, right? How was work today? Great. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That would get awfully old. For one thing, when he said he was going to make the decision to quit the job in San Francisco, she was like, uh, okay. Like, she wasn't like, yay! She didn't, like, hug him around the neck and be like, this is terrific. Everything's going to go great. She was definitely like, okay, like, this is a decision you're making. Again, without discussion. He unilaterally, just like the ultimatum conversation, makes a decision. I'm quitting my job in San Francisco and I'm moving here. And yeah, this is what's happening. Right. And it was like, dude... If that wasn't the job and now they're hiring in L.A., maybe you say something like, you know what, I do need to move back home. That's not the right job. Trust me on that. Right. Trust me. But I will come back home. That's the goal now. Within three months or whatever, we'll re- reunite. That wasn't even addressed. Or, or even say, Kate, do you think do you think now, given all events and given all this and I'm having this huge change of heart and all that stuff, What do you think? You know, should I continue to look for a job in L.A.? What should we do here? How can we make this work? Again, no discussion. Toby just made a decision. And then, like you said, wore his resentment coat every day, loud and proud, with tons of nasty comments, and just made her feel so small. That's another part to his personality that I find very difficult to take. We have worked with so many professionals within the special needs community, and it takes a very special heart and a very dedicated person with a lot of patience and a lot of talent in what they're doing because it is a difficult job that really requires a great deal of like extra, I want to say, right? Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine those people who we've had work with us and with our children have to go home to a spouse who in any way belittles the profession, the pay, their calling to do this in any way, I would be horrified as a parent to find out that if my child was in Kate's class learning how to sing and was singing their little Backstreet Boys song, that that teacher that made my kids so happy in their blind music class was going to go home to a husband who was going to make her feel less than because she didn't make enough money or that, that we're going to mock the school for what they're doing. Like, what? <laughs> My mind is blown that that is how he would respond to this. It reminds me of what I was just saying about how he doesn't seem to be in it as far as being a parent of a person with special needs, a blind child, right? Well, he's also outside of that 
sphere that you were just describing where if you never really thought about it and you thought that is a special ed teacher, right? You might think that's just a regular teacher that teaches kids in special ed. And you don't actually know what Caroline just described is just like the tip of the little iceberg of how these people became involved in that profession and why they stick around and what makes them special above and beyond the people that still decide to teach day in and day out, typically developing peers. So I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> I can tell that like but... I, even as I was saying it, like your face was like, I could kill Toby. Like, you know, I mean, and here's the thing. We have had a helper or two who now over the course of now like 10 years, we have found out was not supportive of the special needs community and did give that person who we had hired a hard time. And we are horrified to find out that he would behave that way towards her, that he would be unsupportive, you know, when mm -hmm. it when it comes to not only just her career, but their own children. Like the whole thing, it just turned out to be like, wow, people don't understand how difficult this all is. But that was enough to get the donkey show rolling. <laughs> Agreeing to come back home and going to see Diane. Yeah, uh, boy, did that seem like some bummer therapy. I mean, I want to give a shout out that there's real couples therapy out there that is very helpful and very good and you get real results. Paul and I have gone to therapy over the years as a married couple, as individuals, because of our different issues that we are we have dealing with having to go through the trauma for us of having premature children and having to kind of you know they describe it as having the same level of PTSD as soldiers that went to war when you when you're in the NICU we were in the NICU for 6 months there is a lot of trauma there that we had to work through together and also separately and then having our own sort of realizations of like my life's not going down the path that i thought it was going to as a as an individual and then as a family like this isn't the family i thought we were going to have and i don't know how to navigate that and how to not ever really blame one another for that again it's a faultless situation but you want something or someone to blame you kind of get it why people end up like suing the hospital because you want someone to blame for why you're in this situation yeah, you know sure. and it's just so complicated so well diane was ineffectual <laughs> Yeah. I don't want people to walk away thinking, boy, couples therapy is a joke, you know? Well, and I mean, we're. I, I'm, I'm going to skip ahead with one comment here, oh. which is just that, and I mentioned it while we were re-watching the episode. How did she get around to, have you had a date night? 16, 16 months. 16 months into <gasps> therapy. <laughs> I mean. That is like the first question, I swear, in the first visit. They're like, have you spent any time together? away from the kids or away from whatever the issue is. Well, and then they... <laughs> <laughs> Paul felt the home dinner was a was a half-assed version a of it. That's a joke. <laughs> Babies crying in the other room, whatnot. <laughs> right. Schedule it for a night that Miguel Kevin doesn't have the kids. Right. Or maybe does. Whatever. Brings the kids over. Whatever. You have help. Nannies. You have help. Right. You didn't need to balls up your quote unquote <laughs> date night by having it at home. Anyway, we'll get there. We will no, no, get we're, there. We're, it's okay. We can we can go there. I because I, I agree with you so wholeheartedly that everything was done with a good intention, but everything was a hollow gesture. It mm -hmm. was ridiculous that he was like, "Fine, I'll take the shittiest job in LA." <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'm going to beef about it every freaking day with you about it. Like, look at this gigantic office. Doesn't even have a window that's nice. <laughs> I love that you point that out because, I mean, guys, a lot of people have, you know, a little tiny cubicle. Or, or they have a corner of a of a desk that they share with somebody else. Or, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, he was being a little much about how all the hate, you know, for this private large office he had. You know, was it boring and lame? Yes. Hang some silly kid art on the walls, you know? Put some big pictures of Jack and Haley. And and if Kate doesn't make you happy, I'm going to put any Kate pictures up. But, you know, She does on. not. I know. When he said that she sucks the joy out of the room, all... Six months after starting therapy. Yes. She refers to their life as being trapped in a hellish version of Groundhog Day. Yes. Paul has some notes about this exactly. Well... I mean, this is the part that felt overly familiar, specifically the part where he says something about failing another secret test about the kids. I don't know if this is a dad thing or just a Paul thing, but there's like a moment where it's like, I don't know anything that I'm doing here. I'm just trying my best. And somehow I never get it right, especially with babies. And so I could sympathize with him in that particular moment, but then he lost it when he took off and decided to get into it about her timing. Like, he's never going to be late. I, they kind of implied that she was always late in some way, you know, because he was like, you don't always have to talk to the teacher. Why would they plan it so close to the end of school day or whatever? Like, move the appointment, yo. Most couples, therapists work at like 7 o'clock at night or 8 o'clock at night. Like, it's not that odd. Pickup for preschool is probably like noontime or something. Like, what are you doing? Like, this is freaking weird. So, I don't know. It was a well, lot. Well, yeah, and she had to, but you know, this is where she turns the screws a little right, bit. Right, And yeah. is, they both have um, a little bit of the old martyr syndrome, right? Where it's like, what I'm doing is so far beyond your understanding. You just need to thank me for doing it. And that's where she gets on to the... If I stay and talk to the teachers and the teacher's nice and then and they're nice to my kid and then my kid gets more, it's like, really? I mean. Uh. <laughs> I agree with you that I think that as we've gotten older and we, again, I have to go back to how, how young this marriage is. You and I have been married or together for 25 years. This relationship is like, we're seeing it like six, seven years, eight years into it. This is a very young relationship for the most part. And, you know, the seven year itch, I think, is very real. And and while they say that in terms of like having an affair or something, I think it's also very real in like the grass is greener. I could be doing something else. This doesn't have to be my life. I think seven years, there's actually like a lot of documented truth to feeling trapped and like maybe I made a shit choice and I don't want to be here. I also think that having a primary parent who is the one who does the majority of the stuff. And again, if Toby's going to say, I didn't bond with Jack very well for a long time, or it took me a long time, then if you own that, then own it. You know, then don't be angry when she does know more about what's going on and says, I know more about what's going on. Why you got to be mad about that? You know, we've discussed that he has an ego type he issue. Does. Um, he does. Men do. It's <laughs> well, and you know what? Here's the thing. I think everybody does. Again, where I was going with the young marriage biz is that the martyr syndrome thing really comes from the realization that everybody really just thinks about themselves in life, right? Like, like there's no reason to feel super insecure walking into a party because everyone at that party is thinking about what they look like and what they sound like and what they're going to say to somebody. 
every single person there is wrapped up in their own head. Who am so, I going to get to make out with? <laughs> exactly. So when it comes to the whole martyr thing, I think you can twist and say, I don't know if it's martyr or it's just people are only aware of their own work. They're only aware of their own efforts that they're putting into this. So when they grandize what they're doing and say, like, I'm I'm doing all these things, I don't necessarily think that that comes from I'm better than you or anything like that. It's just like everyone's natural state is to only really pay attention to what they're working on. Well, what he's working on is couples therapy and making the most of the time that they put aside for it. Because he he took it so personally that she was late, probably again. Here's the thing. If we're going back to that noontime or, or one o'clock in the afternoon, which again would be like very normal pre-K pickup time, he's probably on his lunch hour. I'm going to go with that where like you could be really pissy if it was midday because you have to go back to the stupid office and you got here and now you're going to have to like work half an hour later in the day or something, right? Mm-hmm. And I know he's not like an hourly worker or something, but you know what I'm talking about. Who's like, watching the kids now? Oh my God, they can't. <laughs> <laughs> during couples therapy. Yeah, where do, where do they go during that time? How come they couldn't go have lunch during one of their couple therapies time and like have an opportunity to talk to each other for Christ's sake? It's hard. And you know what? I think you're right that, that I'm going to say it's a super cliche situation where moms kind of take over when they have the baby to begin with and they create their own routines and their own systems For us, we actually came home with a NICU schedule of like sleeping, eating, whatever, that we just kind of were put on by the hospital. And we follow to this day. We kind of had to, though, because of the six months that they were there, right? So we were kind of stuck with someone else's routine that maybe we wouldn't have done, you know, but this is what they did. And so we did it. And I think you're right that there's like total preferences, like if you, especially if you're the stay at home parent or whatever of like, you know, the way you like things put away or cleaned or whatever. And you have your reasons, again, only being self-centered that all of us are. You have your own reasons that you don't necessarily want to have to explain to anyone else who's helping. Our case was a little different because we had more helpers. I don't think that anyone had the wherewithal, I guess I want to say, to kind of like hold everybody to some sort of, we only hold them this way or we only do this this way. I don't, I don't really think so. But certainly in their household, it seemed like when we got down to the which book do you read in which order conversation, I mean... Kate just felt like a young mom to me in that moment, mm-hmm. again, you know, where she was putting a lot of a lot of attention. Whereas if Haley had been their third kid and it had been spread out over time, you know, where they had had some experience or whatever, she would have been like, kids cry sometimes. Yeah. You know, kids can be grouchy near to bedtime. And we don't have to make a federal case out of which book we were looking at when she was having a little fit. Kids like adults have some moments when they feel grouchy right before bed. So what? But they haven't had that. They're a very immature relationship and family, you know? Well, and they are at the stage where they are looking to squabble. We got to talk about that too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a few, there's a, let's see, there's, there's a kid's birthday where there's some picking. Yeah. And then there's the 16 month, have you thought of date night <laughs> moment? <laughs> Again, marriage counseling, very useful and helpful. We're not making fun of it. Just Diane was kind of a boob. So you did mention the the disagreement about the books, yada, yada, yada. But I think the part that stood out to me was, I'm not Jack Pearson. Like, how long has Whoa. he been waiting to say that? I feel like since, this is what blasted into my head. Blasted into my head was the, the day 
that they were having the date in her apartment with the urn of Jack watching the football game. And she was like, I watched the football game for my dad. And like that whole thing came rushing into my brain. I feel like Toby put it in his head right then that I will never live up to this father that she has the urn in her living room that she's like cuddling sometimes Mm -hmm. wearing, you know, the football jersey, watching the game. I am never going to live up to this man. And then that just simmered. Right? Mm -hmm. It was on low heat for years. And then he was just going to blast it off. Did you even think it really had credence in this moment? No. No, there's no guarantee that Jack would have been super dad in their situation. And I think at least we've seen, now again, we have the gift of being the audience and being able to see that that Jack 100% struggled with being a father at different points. Did he have great speeches sometimes? Absolutely. But think of like Randall, like trying to figure out how to be a dad and support him And remember all that stuff and trying to deal with the teacher and all that. I mean, there was so, he had a lot of insecurities as a dad. He he in no way thought he was like a super dad. Like for Toby to use that, it was such a, such a low blow. And I really, I honestly do not think that Kate had the expectation that he was to emulate her father. His chief beef with her was that every fathering step he took had some question, some follow-up, some criticism. That was his idea, was that everything was a criticism. So then he pieced it together in his brains. Well, if she's criticizing me, and I think I'm doing pretty good, and you know, I know that I have problems, but the job gets done, then what standard is she holding me up to? Mm-hmm. And, and then that's where we get here. It felt shitty. It felt real shitty. Obviously, bigger picture, you know, raising the kids and having this very clear response from Jack of my parents are only happy when we're at the park. So I'm going to sneak out and go to the park. My parents only stop fighting if I'm having a problem and they're coming to help me. So I'm going to toss Boba Fett into the toilet. Seeing the effect on Jack was a very good clear cut Okay, you have to make a decision. Are you raising your kids in an environment where they think they need to come to the rescue and create these situations where they can somehow stop the fighting by doing certain antics? Or how are you going to run this show, basically? Did you feel like that was like valid that they that they went there versus because they didn't have to. I mean, Jack was a little guy. They could have just closed the bedroom door. They could have put some music on and he would or would not have heard. That is possibly a stretch given how young he is mm-hmm. to that he would piece together. He's a very smart little dude. Yeah. It's sad that he had to use Boba Fett. <laughs> Paul was like so Put sad him to in see. The toilet. Boba but Fett but that's a big deal for, for Toby. You know, oh, it wasn't just some yeah. some rando object. Right. You know, it was Good something call. that Toby would care about. That's true. I mean, it was such a clear cut moment. I mean, when Kate came back and was just like yeah, I can't do this anymore. I mean, but this is like, you know, how I mentioned for the previous episode, having that third party step into a quickly escalated mm. argument can sometimes reset. This was the, what do they call it? The um, exception that proves the rule, maybe. This was like the uh, total opposite, where like their, especially her dial had permanently clicked over. You know, yeah. it didn't matter at this point. It was just more like it gave her a brief respite of not getting screamed at that she could come to a conclusion. 
man, you know what I just realized because of, and they, and they did a good job of, we talked about this with the smells and, but auditory because Toby invoked the name of Jack and actually yelled Jack several times. Mm. That actually probably got his attention, got his attention. And so had the name of Jack not been brought into the situation, had Grandpa Jack I mean, your not ears are just tuned to it. To your a, own name, of course, especially if you're a little guy. I mean, my God, our Jack, if we, if I say check or something like that, and I'm in the other room, he'll come running and be like, did you say my name? Like, right? How often does that happen? He's like, nodding his head. They're like little Alexis, always like, kind what? Of, what? Yeah. Did you say my name? Did you say my name? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's totally like that. So in... That argument, he actually, I think, created his own son being brought into it and making it all about Jack. Not Grandpa Jack, like he intended, but Baby Jack. Mm -hmm. And I, that was like a whole, now look what you did. Uh? <laughs> I can't stop doing that. That's my David. Okay, so things move on. Yeah. Were, no. you, were you at all interested to see that they didn't involve lawyers, that they went to mediation and they handled things themselves in a more amicable split up. That seemed right in terms of, you know, again, they don't have a lot of money. That's been well established that money- Over is, and over again. Right. So then <laughs> a in lack that case, of revenue. In that case, I would think that you know, mediation would probably make sense just from a logical point of view. You it's just, I guess you need them. lawyers if it gets nasty. Like, that's mine. That's mine. That's mine. No, it's mine. You know, like that sort of thing. I think so. But, but I do honestly think it comes down to money too. I mean, any situation that we can think of, people had to have help from parents or other family members to pay for those lawyers. So in that case, I feel like, no, I mean, I think mediation is just probably one of the least expensive ways to go about doing it. Now, did you think they spent too much time on what I'm going to say, like the legal slash like practical steps of getting divorced look like? I mean, maybe we, we I mean, held a long time on that room when they're in the conference room with the dark silhouettes of them signing the papers. Maybe if you look at some other big moments in the show, like say like Jack's funeral or something like that, that were just like, just like sped by. Um, yeah, it's all onomatopoeia tonight. <laughs> um, they did probably spend a little more time dedicated toward the room that ends marriages than they did some other very big moments. I wonder in some way if they felt like they were being respectful and like honoring the fact that it was like grieving and like the death of this marriage in a lot of ways especially like i said that that last scene of them with their dark silhouettes and just the light coming from behind and it i mean it was like you know a death i mean it, it was very impactful i thought well that came just a couple days after toby asked her if they could take a beat you know, and not go through with it, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, even at the table, I got a sense that he was waiting to see if she started signing. Yes, and I when agree. he did, then he grabbed his pen and he started signing. He wasn't going to be a you know a douche right then, but it he was, wasn't going to be the first one to sign. No, yeah, I no. agree. What did you think about his argument on that front? Because his words to me made me want her to divorce him more. Well, they were truthful, but they were lousy reasons to stay married to him. I'm scared to be alone. I'm I don't want to start over again. I'm scared to be alone. Wow. Could you think of a like a less romantic, loving thing to say to the other person? Like never once saying, I love you. I want to be with you. You're the light of my life. 
I don't want to be alone. I'm scared. Truthful, you're right. But God, do you think you were going to woo her into shit with that? He did. Otherwise, he wouldn't have started with it. I don't know if he thought he was going to. I just think he just started blabbing out of his face, you know? (laughs) That's what it felt like. Blabbing out of his face. (laughs) Like, what this and what that. I think he was just like, I'm scared. And he just started coming out, you know? I don't think it's wrong for him to ask for a beat, actually, in that moment to have said, like, I feel like we're doing better. I feel you just like- got to come armed, right? You got to come. I don't mean with weapons. I mean, with with something you're going to say, if you're going to ask for the beat, she's going to give it to you. She, you've earned she it. Listen for a right, second. Right. But you got to have something to say. And if you're just going to say selfish things, then, you know. It was bad that he thought he didn't need to say anything about her and their relationship and being with her or anything like that. Like, oh, Toby. I mean. What else were you thinking about the petting zoo? (laughs) Right. Petting zoo does not make brains go that that (laughs) fast, right? It's a little meow, meow, meow kind of brain moment, really, at the petting zoo. I don't know. I mean, I think they did a great job of, of showing the destruction of this marriage, of showing that they did try And it did fill in some of the stuff that like from the previous episode where I was like, who is this Toby who's giving these ultimatums and stuff? When he was sitting at the table and he said, I'm just going to quit my job. I'm going to come back here. I'm going to do everything that needs to be done. That was actually the Toby I expected that I was like, oh, you did show up. That is kind of old Toby in a way. Still not conducive to this whole thing. What it made me realize is that he never had any chance once she realized that she had the capability of doing this on her own. Once she realized she could walk to the top of the hill, that she could get the teaching job, that she could put the kids to bed every night, that she could make dinner and do all the things, he really wasn't bringing anything to the table anymore, except for being mean. I hadn't thought of it like that. They did a good job showing us the destruction of this, even if it was a little bit on fast forward, but what they didn't do so good a job on was showing us how we transitioned from snarky coworker to shoulder to cry on to first date to proposal. Yes, we did get those scenes, well, some of those scenes with Philip, but I didn't see enough spark at all between the two of them at work or other places to be like, I'm going to ask this lady out as soon as she's divorced. I did not get there. Let me tell you another part that really... That really bugged me about this foundation for Philip. I agree with you wholeheartedly. We spent too much time on certain portions, which maybe we can try to figure out, or maybe it doesn't matter. But, you know, we had that initial drink for Koreatown. And then we had, you know, we go to the first date and we see, you know, the story. I have to talk about his story for a second, because this is one of those times when the writers walked a line for me that I decided no. So here's why. I didn't like it that they made his story about a fertility situation. I thought that was like super reused and kind of lazy because, yes, Kate had a fertility situation. It just felt very like, what? Yes, it's common in some regard, but it just felt very reused. I think they could have just said that they were having arguments or having issues about other things or whatever. I think they were trying to make him look super sympathetic. And I think they kind of used that situation. That kind of bothered me. But here's what really got me. So she, in very cryptic language, never saying I'm overweight, never saying anything, saying I'm a not toothpick girl, mm-hmm. right? That whole thing. Yeah. And he says, 
Well, I married a woman who had a crooked nose and dun, 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 she was blind. So, you know, I'll accept messed up people. Oh, I didn't even. And I was like, what? I'm afraid I, I did not put that together, but. Wasn't that moment supposed to be like, let me just blow your mind, Kate. Not only will I date a fat woman. I'll date a blind woman so you can see what a great heart I have. Wow. What? Maybe that's just a skosh more cynical than they wanted you to be. I'm sorry. Did he not do a pregnant pause and say, and she was blind? They did put that in. What? Yeah, Yeah, they did put that in. I'm sorry. What did you just say? Did you just basically take her down an entire notch and try to act like she was less than? Because that was the analogy set up. It was all, you date perfect women who are these toothpick people, right? And I'm this imperfect woman who's a mom. Gross. And I'm not a toothpick. Ew, sick. Right? That's how we're supposed to feel. Hmm. And she, and these children have special needs. Ah, disgusting. She was literally saying, what are you doing? There's a lot of other things she could have pointed out that a lot of people say about Kate. She's whiny. She can be selfish. She's got a family that is very complicated with her mom and her brothers and all these other situations, right? Yeah. She's got a lot going on where those were the things, right? Yeah. And then his thing is the crooked nose and that she's blind. If I was writing this, then I would be thinking that I want to just dump all the stakes I possibly can into this short story so that all of a sudden, this guy that we've explained nothing about is sympathetic. I'm not sympathetic when you put... And I would miss the fact that (laughs) I had just done what you said. I'm sorry. Nope. Nope. You lost me. You entirely lost me. Philip makes no sense to me. I understand that. And I have, and I've argued this. I said early on, I said, you know what? Philip is going to be a really great foil for Toby because he is a professional in the blind world. And that gives him so much weight in this story because he's going to be someone who can easily flow with Jack and Haley and the life that Kate is trying to have. And, you know, they work at the school. Me and you know lots of professionals within the blind community who end up marrying other people within the community. Sure. Because, you know, things in common, I guess, basically, right? Yeah. It's a very specific profession, too. I don't know. It really bothered me. I mean, give me some feedback. It was a hot take there on your face, so. Uh, I'm, I'm still taking the hotness as it is. He wanted a medal. He wanted her to look at him like he was a really great guy for having married a blind woman. That may have been what you heard, but again, if I'm writing that scene... All I'm thinking is I need to correct this idea that Kate has about him by giving this very sad backstory. It's sad that his wife passed away, and it's super sad that it happened in the heat of a moment where she didn't say goodbye, and they they, they left things unsaid. The last words were ugly between the two of them, and she died, and he is this broken person. You could have left it at that, that he had this terrible tragedy but no you have to you have to crank up the stakes she has to be blind listen man i'm just trying to say i understand that they had to build up the compassion and the sympathy and there's going to be listeners of ours who are going to be like 
whatever, Caroline. Like, it is, he does deserve a medal for marrying a blind woman. That is a feat. And I'm just saying, I don't think if you work in the special needs community, you can have in that any attitude, way. Right? No. And it worked, though. Kate's like, oh. She totally fell for the tragedy of it all, right? Because, hey, you're speaking to the tragedy of a young person's death. Well, the same person that wrote the thing with the intention opposite of what you just said mm. wrote the part where she fell for it, as you say. It is not that she fell for it. It's that she agreed that actually he is deeper than he lets on. Okay, and I'll the go part, with you. And the part about and trying to be broken. happy again. He's more broken. Right then, well, just than that she thought, yes, or or more complicated, more whatever. Like his life was not. I think the word they kept using was messy. That he had a messy past as well, and you know whatever. I think that they plugged into. If we're doing cycles and patterns. They plugged into Jack dying young, and the tragedy of it being just in one second you lose your spouse. They plugged into that emotional. Didn't get to say goodbye. Didn't get to say goodbye. You plugged into that outlet in the This Is Us story and said, make it be the same. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but, to, but right? Like, am I, am, I, am I off there that they kind of gave him a little bit of a Jack, Rebecca, really, you know, shine mm. on him of, like, the spouse that got left behind and, oh, my God, didn't, didn't really get to say goodbye. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, I don't know, a little bit borrowing our feelings then from the Jack Rebecca story for that story. I mean, everything about <laughs> that story <laughs> was, I mean... It was like borrowed from all well, other it, stories. I hesitate to say it was cheap, but it was a little cheap in terms of just... Flimsy. In, in terms of being able to just grind up emotion immediately. Well, she has all these things and plus this and, and then finally that. And like you just said, it compares to something you've already heard. So, so yeah. it's 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 stealing our emotions for what happened with Jack and applying them to what happened with Philip. And it it feels like, nah. Yeah. I I agree with you also that I don't understand how they get from having the drink after the divorce, right? Tub thumping, tub thumping, <laughs> to the first date. They were coworkers and everything, and then we just jump around. We're supposed to think they went on a first date like pretty soon after the day of their divorce. I think so. I just don't even know what to think. It's a lot. It's a lot. They obviously like dated a little bit though for a while because we, you know, we saw Jack being a much older boy and Haley um, when they actually get the proposal and the engagement party and the, the throwback to the tub thumping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. I think we all can say that that was a very bummer rendition. <laughs> I'm not trying I mean, to be a jerk. They're both supposed to be singers. As people that that Kate. lived through the thub, the tub thumping <laughs> era, I think we can say with some certainty we've heard it better. There, yes, we've heard it done better. Yeah, a thousand, thousand percent. So, I guess I, I don't know. I, I'm being told that Kate is happy, and I'm being told that Philip is in love. With this woman mm. and is so happy and thrilled and loves the children. And I was, I'm being told that. I don't feel I lived that. I don't think that I had these experiences with these individuals. And I saw their story unfold in a way that made sense to me. I mm. know they needed to get Kevin to the engagement party to see Sophie. But I feel like that was the only reason why we saw the engagement party. 
I didn't need to see the live, you know, rendition of Tub Thump in there. I didn't even see any of that. So there was a lot of wasted space, I think, that we could have actually seen, like, some awkwardness in the hallways or some cute moments where he comes in. Maybe she's had a hard day and she's like, gosh, I'm really struggling to get through to this student. And he comes in and he's like, you know, what can I do to help and stuff like that? You know, show some camaraderie and, and them growing a little bit that could have taken up some of these other periods of time. Like we didn't have to revisit Kevin coming in and saying marriage and all that shit. Like we didn't need to have that long of a scene for a Toby phone call. Well, I remember when Kate started hanging out with Gregory, that, Gregory, yeah. that there were people on the boards predicting that this was the, the kernel of an upcoming affair, you know, with the oh. recovering stroke sufferer. Next door, right? Yes. And so it's not that there's not an overarching sense of deliberateness in the storytelling here, but sometimes, like Kate says later, it'd be easier if we could live life backwards. And I think it might be easier if you could write TV shows backwards too, because then you might build Philip in a little freaking earlier. And not have so much Gregory. Not have Gregory at all. I mean, people love him. I understand. He's super cute. But well, he was there to for Kate to talk to during some different periods of time, if you remember. And and that was it And was, that's where you needed Philip. Ah, okay. I see what you're you saying. You know what I mean? Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean it was very young. It was when Jack was just barely eating food. So Philip and the school it wasn't no, really right. introduced. Uh, yeah, yet. that's what so I mean. You're right. I see what you're saying. Cause it could maybe Philip would have come out as some sort of you know, the way that it works, you guys, is they're they're like liaisons from like from blind schools and stuff like that that end up talking to families, you know, before you're really interacting with them. And so it wouldn't have been weird, especially, you know, as a blind baby, it wouldn't have been weird to have Philip actually be one of the outreach people, you know, initially. Often those places are pretty understaffed. And so the manager, the boss also goes out on the house calls. And they would typically come out and like assess needs and see if the family needs anything like that. That's a real thing. So you're right. He could have been introduced sooner. Now, that would have definitely made people feel like he could have been a cause of the divorce and everything. And I think that they did a very clear line delineation of like, right. She was all she in was with Toby. 100% right. divorced before they even went out on their very first silly drink together. There could be no one who could think that Philip and Kate had any interactions prior to That's fair. Korea Town. So maybe that was important. Less messy. Yeah, maybe that was important. But I agree with you. I mean, I, I want to like Philip. He just doesn't make any, any, the chemistry feels not quite there for me. You know, mm -hmm. I don't, yeah. I don't see it. No. So I, mm, it's a struggle. That one's a whole struggle. And when we apparently have a lot more time, at, like dealing with this particular situation, because we're going to have the wedding day and we're going to have the night before the wedding and all this stuff. No, I very much think we're going to be focusing on a lot of other characters during those episodes, I think it's going to be like what was happening in other rooms during that time. And we're going to find out a lot about Rebecca and, and what's what her status is. But finishing out our Katobi, we did have the flash forward where we saw that, yes, Philip and Kate are married and they're still married in the future. And Kate's alive and Jack is an adult man. So there's no way that she's dead when Rebecca dies. So put that all to rest. <laughs> because the twins are only like 10 years old, we all decided, which only puts Jack at around close to the same age, you know, maybe 11 or whatever. So Kate is alive, put it to bed. And we did get to see, I mean, and it was a nanosecond, but we did get to see that Toby does find love again. 
and apparently remarries with his punny girl. Just a moment, though. But yeah, it was enough. She doesn't even get a name. No, Women. just <laughs> woman that likes coffee jokes. And parfait jokes. Parfait jokes, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I guess, do you feel like they gave closure, much like we had Beth sitting in our office putting up the ballerina picture? I mean, if if this really started, and we're saying it started when Jack's name was being yelled and the Boba Fett stuff was happening and the taking off to the park because that's where his parents are happy. If these two parents are standing there together at the end of the day with a grown child who is successful and doing a great job, was this all really a happy ending for everybody? Was this a successful story? I think we get there, but there's a mess in the middle that they had to go through. But Is it, it Philip's mustache? Because that was really messy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really uh, like any of that. Uh, no. <laughs> Um, what did you think about the fact that they actually had like Philip and and um, Toby try to like befriend each other and like all right Toby's gonna like teach him about football and stuff? Was that all just like don't worry they're not gonna yell at each other and have troubles? Were they just kind of like like rubbing our backs through that part? Like a little eh, bit, okay. yeah. I think that was a little bit like maybe even showing <laughs> people like this is one way that co-parenting can work where both of the we'll just say men in this situation because it happens to me are approaching this uncomfortable part of their lives with a lot of maturity and this is the way it can look it can be friendly it can be okay because i'm assuming that this happens never in real life and that oh i don't know i've seen some tiktoks that are pretty funny where that's like the ex-wife and the new wife are like best friends. And like, if they were going to get divorced, the, the two women were definitely going to stay friends forever. Yeah, but that's TikTok. That kind of stuff. I well, mean, I'm talking about real life. I think it's a goal. I think you want to hope that. That's what I mean. They're still. presenting us. They're showing us. Right. Uh, they're modeling. Uh, they're modeling <laughs> a goal. I'm thinking, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking a lot of times new yeah. dad just shows up at the backyard barbecue and old dad's like, who invited that piece of fucking shit? <laughs> That's real nice piece of fucking shit. Nice. Well, well, I mean, it also, though, reminded me of when Kevin says to Randall, hey, do you want to go meet Elijah? We have this super weird, awkward situation. Do you want to come see it? Like, that was another version of it, right? Yeah. Where they're trying, but they're certainly not at, you know, drinking a beer together, laughing and whatever yet. But I certainly agree with you that they're modeling what do you do when the relationship is breaking apart. And also you guys still need to co-parent and you need to have these other adults come into the picture and get along with them on some level, right? Yeah. So how do you feel with this whole Toby-Kate ending? We get it all the way to the future, all the way as far as we've ever seen is Jack being an adult on stage that's as far as we've ever seen. Well, not to correct you. Oh, no. What, but he wrong? was performing at a club. That's true. Whereas we've seen him perform more like... In like an arena? An arena type True. Thing, so that's so. when he's more successful. That's yeah. true. But this is as far, I guess, as I want to say we've seen... It's. I mean, this is just pretty far. This is as far as we've seen Kate that's into the true, future. That's true. Because we definitely did not see her at the birth of the baby. Jack's baby. Yeah. So that one, because we were really like, super weirded that only Haley was there at the birth. Right. So we was like, where was everyone else? But I was glad that those four people could stand there together. And it was very cute that they had Jack going back to our Saturday in the Park episode where he wakes up and says, you're both here. 
Mm-hmm. And then all the way to Jack in the bar saying, you're both here. And it was almost that same little sweet voice came out of him. It wasn't like a deep manly voice. It was still that little like, you're both here. And it was it was very cute. And like I thought a very nice bookend to the whole thing that at the end of the day, you both just need to show up with whomever on your arm, however that all works. But everybody just needs to show up and the kid's going to be happy. Just show up, people. That's <laughs> half the job. It is. It really is. Well, Paul, I know we've seen some previews for next week and getting into it looks like Randall and Miguel having some sort of spat. Definitely, I'm my heart is really throbbing about this whole situation with Rebecca asking when Jack's going to get there. This is going to hit hard. Even when things are moving at a normal pace, we see viewers ask the worst questions online like they just don't understand what's going on and are not watching the show with any kind of attention at all so now that we're skipping through time a little bit it's gonna get rougher don't you think i think it's i think people are gonna struggle so they have to be more deliberate and giving people the clues they need to know where they are in time just hair length might not be enough you know, this isn't Westworld. People aren't watching for that kind of level of clue. You know, they they want to feel grounded in where they are in their in the story with this more general audience. Okay, Paul, tell me something outlandish you think is going to happen in the next six episodes. Something outlandish, or just any prediction you want to make is acceptable too. <laughs> um, yeah. What about Miguel? If we have three episodes from now, we have Miguel. You think he's passing away? Yeah, I don't think he makes it to the finish line. I don't either. I also think that that little clip where he says, everything's moving faster. I bet Miguel has cancer or something. Because he seemed very on edge and upset and in a way that there was something else, you know? Well, if you're living with a a memory care patient Mm -hmm. and she's your wife, but she keeps asking about her first husband, you know, you can be a great guy. But if that's been your life for a year... You'd, you'd start to wear pretty thin. No, I, I think I think the mental health, you know, stability of the caretaker of someone who has, you know, uh, any type of memory issue, I, I think would be very complicated as much as and I and I have friends who have dealt with this with their own parents and they have their own times of having to try to separate themselves from what's happening. You know, like, OK, they're asking for whomever and that person is not here. But what do I do? How do I deal with this and not? Taking offense and not being drawn into it is impossible because the person's face who's talking to you is still your wife, like you said. Mm -hmm. But what they're saying is like so hurtful and confusing, you know, asking for for someone who's passed away, especially, you know, a previous husband. You know, that's all confusing and difficult. So how far do we go, do you guess? I think the last episode's got to be the deathbed. Oh, you think so? Yeah. I don't know why we'd go past that. I want like a, I think I want a footnote past that of like, where like a, like a six foot under, like, where did they all go? Unless mm. they're going to leave it open for, a, for a, they've talked about, or there's been rumblings, I'll say, of like a movie or picking it back up five years from now or something when everyone is reasonably older, like all the kids and everybody could be older. You could pick it up again. So maybe they won't nicely cap it off. That will be us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that will be us. This is Caroline. This is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and all of our Pod Clubhouse podcasts on iTunes, Amazon, Audible, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A high rating and a written review 
would be great to help people find us. And if you are vampy nurse out there. In- <laughs> Please, will you go back and amend your one-star rating? Because we weren't putting these out fast enough for you. We are devastated to get a one-star rating after you said you loved our podcast, but we just weren't putting them out fast enough. We promise you we're just honestly processing them through very damaged little hearts and <laughs> trying to sit and talk about it without crying for you guys. So, Please give us a five star review. We really appreciate it. (laughs) Vampiness. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.